The 14-week Out of the Cave coaching program is really about using your relationship with food to heal your relationship with yourself on a deeper level. Here's what some of the alumni have to say. It was life-giving. It was vocabulary-giving. It was thought process-giving. It was so much and a lot. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things that I got out of the whole out of the cave experience was turning, being my own best friend, turning towards myself, um, honoring and listening and speaking (laughs) for myself. I'll have to go like kill myself at the gym. It's just like, let's just move a little bit, not because I have to, but because it's my body and it's my home and I it deserves to be loved and taken care of. That's that's been a big yeah huge shift for me. <laughs> huge. Just in general, like you were the first person that actually like made me feel seen and like understood. <laughs> Hi there. Welcome back to the Out of the Cave podcast with Lisa Schlossberg. I'm your host, Lisa Schlossberg, a licensed social worker, certified health coach, personal trainer, and yoga instructor. If you, like I have, struggle with your relationship with food, eating, and body image, I am here with this podcast to guide you into healing the relationship you have with yourself through a trauma-informed, holistic, and mind-body-soul approach. Together, we can support you in building a lifestyle of more peace, freedom, safety, and power. of the cave podcast hello this is lisa schlossberg and today today i'm excited for a different reason than usual other than just being here today i'm excited because this is another kind of first of its kind episode i'm sitting with tori here today hello tori say hello hello how are you doing (laughs) great um i'm sitting here with tori and before tori introduces herself I'm going to give you, you, the listener, a little bit of context. That is, this is someone that I have met before, um, have not worked directly with. And I got an email from Tori a few weeks ago saying some of the most impactful healing that has happened in, in your experience, Tori, is watching and being a part of being able to witness kind of a real-time heal situation. So watching people kind of move through certain modalities or coaching, and you basically offered yourself as a volunteer to the pod to say, I've seen this be really helpful for me, and I would love to just kind of give that opportunity to other people by being that real-time heal, quote-unquote, client. So that's what we're here to do today is a little bit of context and background around who Tori is, where she's coming from. And then we'll do some coaching around whatever feels present for you. And this will be a little bit of a real-time heal episode. So again, I'm excited, interested to see where this will go. And as I just said to you, Tori, honoring your bravery in being here and your courage to show up with just whatever's going on for you right now. So that is the context. That's who I'm sitting with. And having said all that, Tori, please introduce yourself. Who are you? Where are you? 
what are you? <laughs> How do you like to identify <laughs> as a human being? Hi, I'm Tori, and um, I live in Georgia with my wonderful husband and two daughters. And um, I'm in my early 40s, and I work in the helping profession, uh, mostly with children. And I'm, I'm the type of person that's like, you know, like a lot of people on your podcast, always working on myself, always trying to better myself. And I would say that it, it is scary. It is hard for me to be here today. I, you know, to be this vulnerable, but like something that I learned from, from you at Omega, or maybe it was even the one in, in Boone that last April, something that's been like super helpful for me has been the. I'm uncomfortable, but I'm not unsafe. Mm. That has been a game changer for me, like personally and professionally. Like, so that's, that's how I'm able to be here. Cause you know, I'm uncomfortable, but I am not unsafe. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh-huh. I really deeply appreciate that. Um, because that I, you know, I feel like a lot of what I teach and share I pull from other like great leaders and other great minds, right? A lot of what I am about, right? I talk about Nicole Sachs and John Gabriel and Gabor Mate and Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle. And like, there's so many things outside of me that come into this work, but I am uncomfortable, not unsafe as a Lisa Schlossberg original. (laughs) (laughs) And I, and I think, I mean, I agree with you that, um, it's very pro it's it's powerful and it's profound and it can be really transformative so i really appreciate that and receive that and i'm very proud of you for taking that in and embodying that so yay cool um yes and that is how we know each other we've been at nicole sachs's retreats together um Mm -hmm. and that's how that's the degree to which we have worked together right so having said that i you know as you've listened to this podcast before i want to briefly, right? Because we'll get into things that are more present as well. But these are things I don't know about you. So when we, again, go back to the beginning, as usual, can you catch me up on, you know, zero to five, zero to 10, even, you know, into your teens? Mm -hmm. What do you remember? What feels really relevant to you about your relationship with food and eating and your body? Okay. So starting at like the beginning, like before eight or nine, I think that I didn't have really an awareness of issues with food personally, but I definitely witnessed my parents, but especially my mom, like on always on like the different diets, the Adkins diet and the cabbage soup diet, you know, like all the Nutrisystem, you know, like being on that and then like losing weight and then gaining weight and also like the fact that there wasn't like a lot of sweets or, you know, it was all healthy food in the house. And so then, you know, go to a friend's house or go somewhere else. And then it'd be like, oh, there's, there's chips and there's cookies here. I could actually, you know, so there a lot of that, but I think my first experience within my own body and, and, you know, being self-conscious about that was I was probably about like nine or 10 years old. And my, my sister who was always, you know, very thin and she was like doing like this modeling thing. And so there was like a commercial she was going to be trying out for that was for sisters. 
So my mom was like, oh, you should come and like try out for it as well. And it was, the girls were in bathing suits. And before like the tryout, my mom had said to me, now, when you go and do your tryout, make sure you suck in your stomach. So, and I have like a clear memory of like going to the bathroom and like looking and like looking at my stomach. And I think that's basically like when like I started like dieting. I remember like in like fifth grade going to like a salad bar. And of course, just like I've heard lots of other people on your podcast say, I look back at pictures and I'm like, oh my God, I was fine. Like I was, you know, I was a little kid, you know? So I think that that like, then like in middle school, it just got, it got worse. And I, my mom very much was, you know, hard on herself. And then she started to be hard on me and would um, like, you know, criticize body parts or say like, oh, we have this event coming up, maybe we should lose some weight or, oh, your arms look this way in that, you know, dress or so very much hard on me and very much into, into appearances and like what people think. So it wasn't just weight. It was, she literally paid me $10 to wax my eyebrows when I was 12 years old. She, you know, was very much about wanting me to wear like name brand clothing. And, you know, it was just very much about appearances. So that's, let's say in middle school too, um, I remember like a friend and I, like we would be on like different diets or like we tried taking diet pills and, you know, so we definitely, I definitely with me and some of my friends did some of that stuff. And then in high school, it got, probably got worse. Again, it would be either like I would be losing weight and, you know, exercise has always been a big part of my life. And I, you know, I love it. I do Zumba. I, you know, do Pilates, love that. But like, you know, starting very young and for kind of now I do it because I enjoy it and I love it and it's fun, you know, but then it was all about, of course, like losing weight. And, um, and, and so like middle to high school, I definitely had a, you know, difficult relationship with food. Cause it was, you know, on the one hand, it was the thing that was always there for me. But then on the other hand, it was, you know, like my biggest enemy. Cause I just, you know, couldn't, you know, get to a place of, I guess in some ways it was the only thing I could control, you know, because like I had like parents that were controlling, but then of course it was so out of control. So in high school, I definitely, um, I struggled, you know, with self-esteem and, and body image. And I started having some depression. And thankfully, I started seeing therapists when I was like 16 or 17. And that really, that really helped me tremendously. And um, trying to think. So like, I think from high school into college, like my into my early 20s, I continued to struggle with food and, and then and alcohol. And so that it was, those were like the two that like, I would, you know, drink and then I wouldn't care about, you know, I'd be like, okay, well now I could just eat. And so then I would, you know, eat. And then it was just kind of like a, a vicious cycle. So first, thank you for sharing yeah. all that. Yeah, absolutely. And I always kind of feel the need to say, I'm really sorry 
that mm-hmm. it went that way and that you were on the receiving end of so much of that. Yeah. When you think back and you're, you know, for you, it sounds like it started around like nine and you have mm-hmm. a clear memory of that. You, when you just kind of isolate what your relationship with food looked like, like first you're telling us about the things that happened and the things that you did. So you were kind of watching things go on with your mom and then you kind of started with your own dieting and your diet pills and the whole thing. Do you remember what all of that felt like emotionally? I mean, I think when I was nine and like, like she made the comment and all that, I think I was like confused. And I think that I, I felt sad. Like I felt like, you know, I was being compared, you know, to my sister. I think, yeah, it was just, it was hard to, to be, to, to feel like my, my value or my worth was based on like what I looked like. Yeah. Yeah. So were you aware of that at the time or is that? I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, in our house, like feelings were not something that were like, you know, okay. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like I could be like, oh, hey, I'm sad. And they'd be like, oh, that's, I'm so sorry. Be like, more like, just smile, be happy. Like, what would you have to be sad about type of thing? Right. Right. Which is always part of the story. Oh yeah, for sure. It's like so important to just have that context. That is like, all of this was happening kind of like out here in the physical dimension, but for so many of us, it's happening in the physical dimension, but what does our emotional reality look like? Well, all of this is bringing up feelings, but we don't have the safety or the capacity or the resources to actually be with ourselves in the feelings that it's bringing up. So that's kind of why I asked that is it, it so fills out the context of your experience, especially as a kid and a teen. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think for me too, is having, having daughters and seeing like being able to, you know, I'm not perfect. Of course I make my own mistakes, but like being able to validate their emotional experience and be like, it's okay to be sad and let's talk about it. It's very much like been a grieving process for me of like, I didn't have that, you know, I didn't have a space, you know, to have my emotions and just be like, oh, I'm sad. Or like, it's like, and somebody just be like, that really sucks. You know, I'm here for you, you know? So I think, and again, at the time I didn't, didn't really know it, you know, but like, yeah, I think it, it also helped that when I was like, probably around that same age, nine or 10, I met my best friend and she has some similar like family um, history, you know, type of dynamics. And so like, we were able to like see each other and be there for each other. And that, I think that's like what saved me at that yeah. age. So yeah, that's, mm-hmm. mm, thank yeah. you. Yeah. I totally hear you. And your girls are lucky to have you. Well, thank you. Yeah. Okay. So again, I mean, I'm, I'm noticing, like, I want to just kind of like dive into everything (laughs) that you just shared, but I also want to be mindful of time and space. So, so we're moving into kind of college, early Mm -hmm. twenties, and now alcohol has made an appearance. And I also actually, before getting there, 
it's always important to me to kind of honor what you're saying and acknowledge the way that food has on one hand, because what we're, what I'm hearing first is that you're aware of kind of like the diet culture in your immediate environment. But then you also mention later that food is the thing that was always there for you. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not just kind of like the diet mentality, but it's also emotional comfort, emotional eating, Right. So how how present was that for you, that food was like comfort and safety and protection, connection, whatever it was? How much was that going on from zero to 20 for you? You mean like in the having the awareness that it was? Well, either way. Right. Because sometimes we know while we're doing it that it's like food is my comfort. I always felt that way in real time. And sometimes it's more like looking back, I could see that food was a coping mechanism, but I wasn't sure I was aware of that at the time. Or it could be like a mix of both. Right, right. I think I probably had some awareness. Like I knew that it was a problem. You know, basically I would get, you know, or I guess that's the thing is it's not, I wouldn't get upset about something. I would, there would be something there And I would just, you know, let's go have some ice cream or let's go have some cookies or whatever. And I think that then I would, you know, I would binge because it would just kind of like to stuff the feelings, Mm -hmm. you know? And then when I was drinking, it was like, it was like an excuse like, oh, well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm drunk. So it's like, it doesn't count or something like that. Right, right, right. And I would just, you know, kind of eat lots of food and then. The next day, wake up feeling crappy with either a hangover or just a stomach ache and, you know, realizing that, you know, it was just like a temporary fix, you know? Right. So, so I, I, I think that there was some awareness there, but not, not totally, but like, as I've gotten older and like, I've realized, you know, there, when there's a lot more awareness, then it's just, it's still, it's still there though. It's still kind of like the it's still like an issue. It's trying to find the balance. Right. So. Okay. Totally hear you. Makes sense. Okay, cool. So again, there's like kind of a lot that I'm interested in, but I want to move on. So then alcohol kind of makes an appearance. Mm -hmm. You're in your early twenties. What do the next few years look like in terms of food, eating your weight, alcohol? How does that unfold? Okay. So like over, over the years, like with alcohol, I, there was a few different times in my life where I would say, okay, you know, um, still to this day, I don't think that I'm an alcoholic. I think that I'm a alcohol abuser, you know, like a, it's more of like a binge, binge eating, binge drinking type of a thing. Mm -hmm. But there've been several times where I'm like, you know what, I think, let me just not drink for a while. And like, would, would not drink for like a year or something like that. And so, and the, the, basically though, I yo-yo dieted, you know, so I'm in my early forties. So basically, you know, from 20 to like, probably like my late thirties, it was just like, you know, going on different diets or different programs or, you know, meeting with a trainer that like would give me a diet. And, you know, and some of them were like unhealthy diets where it's like, there's a cheat day. And then on that cheat day, it would like basically stuff, stuff my face. And it's like, this is, not healthy, you know, and again, on some level knowing that, but it was like, but I'm losing weight. So, and, and that's the other thing is with my, 
with my family, with my parents, like the very much praise for, you know, if you lose weight, if like there was one time where I was like on the treadmill, like once in the morning and once at night. And I was like hardcore dieting and like my dad being like, I'm so proud of you that you're on the treadmill. Like very much, it was very much like, oh, you didn't eat that bread. Good girl. Like very much praise for, for appearances. Um, and then at some point in my early twenties, uh, I think it's when my, my, my mom's mom, cause this is very much a generational trauma type. Oh, yeah. She, when she, I think when she passed away, it was like my mom finally like stopped giving me a hard time because, you know, her mom gave her a hard time type of thing. And, but then all of a sudden she switched to always complimenting me and always saying, you, did you lose weight? Did you lose weight? Even I could literally have gained weight literally once when I was one of the times I was pregnant. She's like, did you lose weight? I'm like, I'm literally carrying a baby. No, I did not lose weight. <laughs> so like that's that, um, that was, you know, has always been a struggle. Um, and I had to recently like set a boundary to say, please stop making comments about my body. And so after several times of putting that boundary into place, it did work. So that was good. Um, Congratulations. That's a really hard thing to do. Yeah, it was really yeah. hard. So I basically, you know, I, I yo-yo dieted, I lose weight and I lose like 20 pounds and then, you know, I kind of stop and then I get, you know, just the, the typical yo-yo diet, you know, story. And then like in my, I would say like in my late thirties, you know, I've been having, I have had the back pain. And so I was like, I found this anti-inflammatory diet. And it was like, oh, great. Like this is, it was something that I was doing to, for the pain. So it actually, and also I had was diagnosed with um, sleep apnea and they were like, you know, oh, if you lose like 30 to 40 pounds, then, you know, you might not, you know, need to use this, this CPAP. So like I was motivated. I was like, oh, and then I find this thing that I'm like, oh, it's going to help with my back pain. Great. And so like being the good student I was, I like did it like so totally like by the book. Of course, it didn't really do anything for my back pain, but like I lost like, I think about 40 pounds and in like a year and a half. And it was, it was, it was actually like the healthiest type of relationship I'd had with food for a long time, because it was very much just, it wasn't like you can only eat this much of that. It was like, these are the foods you can eat. Like they're healthy. And like, you don't like if you every once in a while, you want a piece of cake, have a piece of cake, but for the, you know, and so I was actually like got to a pretty decent spot. And then I went to um, last April, I went to the um, the cure for chronic pain with you and Nicole Sachs, which by the way, I walked into that not knowing who either of you were. Like I like, I mean, like that's the craziest thing to me was that I was just looking for like a retreat to like, you know, relax. And I was like, oh, chronic pain, oh, this should be good. And so I just walked in and I was like, oh, wow. Like it was so life-changing. So, but what was the part that was interesting for me was that I learning about learning about all this. And then I realized kind of like, oh, wait a second, you know, this anti-inflammatory diet, like it's not doing anything for my back and like, kind of like was, was able to like, be like, okay, well, I can kind of let go of that a little bit. And so basically since that time, I probably like gains like 
10 of the 40 pounds back, which is I've been trying to find the balance of like, it's okay, you know, like, and now I try to like, like again, like wear it loosely, like do the anti-inflammatory diet as much as I can, because it made me feel good physically, you know, um, mentally, physically, like eating good, you know, greens and fruits and whole grains. And all. I mean, it feels good, but to be able to like find the balance of like, it's like to, to like love myself where I'm at that, like, I don't have to gain, lose that 10 pounds to, you know, be worthy or whatever. So. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for sharing all that. I hear you. I hear you. And it's really cool again for me to like learn all of this about you and where you're coming from mm -hmm. in your story. Because again, like we met at the retreat. It's so amazing to me when people show up to a retreat like that and just have like literally no idea what they're getting into. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's so awesome to know that. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. And again, I want to just kind of ask you a similar question to what I did before, which is when you say the last, let's say, you know, almost 20 years of your life have been this kind of yo-yo diet on yeah. off, you know, eating a certain way and then not. And, you know, so when you, again, that to me is like, all right, cool. So that's what's happening physically around food. Those are the things that you're like doing. When you think about the last 20 years in your relationship with food, what has it felt like for you? Um, I think that, I mean, like some of it is like a powerlessness, like feeling like, you know, when am I going to figure this thing out type of thing? Um, and I think there's, there's, there's been shame, you know, shame about it. And I think, I think too, what, what was hard was that, which I didn't say was when I did lose the weight as great as that felt now everybody's making comments you know mm. oh you lost weight oh my how'd you do it oh and it just drove me absolutely crazy um and so that was just a lot I mean I think there's a lot of feelings there's like anger sadness you know shame so fear. yeah yeah thank you for sharing that the reason that I like to ask that question or the reason that I'm just like so genuinely personally curious is because I think, again, we're doing this thing with food and eating and similarly to chronic pain, it's like it can be such an effective distraction from everything else that's going on internally that we get like hyper fixated on the food or the weight or the calories or whatever it is and like following the diet and we could just go down that rabbit hole forever and get really kind of obsessive about it, which I myself have totally been there. But that's why I always like to just be like, what was going on inside of you as like a human while you're doing all of that with the food and the eating and the weight? And that's kind of the point is that, oh, it's like, there's actually so many feelings. It's it's such a roller coaster, especially when you're on the yo-yo diet train, you're going mm -hmm. up and down and here and there. And like, it's just it is, it's a lot. So that's why I just, am always like, okay, cool. We know, we know what a yo-yo diet is, but what was your lived embodied felt experience of that? And, and to know, and just acknowledge that it's been, it's been like decades of yeah. kind of carrying the emotional baggage that comes with it. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Okay. I hear you very much. So, all right, you've done a really beautiful job of kind of catching us up to yeah. where you are. So we meet at North Carolina at Nicole Sachs's Cure for Chronic Pain Retreat. And I'm curious just to hear like, all right, so you had literally no idea what you were getting into, what that was. You're like, I'll just relax for a couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> then can you just like briefly speak to what your experience was like? And then like, how, how have things shifted since then? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so like prior, prior to that, like, you know, I've done therapy, been in therapy, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work. I, I, journaled a lot when I was, you know, a teenager. So it was, you know, the funny part was when I came there and I started learning about all that and I was like, oh, but I don't have repressed emotions. <laughs> like I was like, oh my God, I'm in therapy. You know, my, my husband was like, you, you don't have repressed emotions. You, you talk about it. And, you know, and I was like, all right, well, let me, you know, give it a try. And like, I mean, obviously I discovered, yes, I did have a lot of repressed emotions. Um, and it's really been a, like a year of growth and like transformation. And like, you know, I, again, like a good student, journal speak every day, meditate, you know, like, and for a while, I, my physical pain, like had gone away for a few months. And so I was super psyched, you know, but it, you know, I think it was kind of the, the symptom imperative. I think the fatigue was going on around that time, but you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to figure it all out, but I think also listening to, you know, both of your podcasts and doing the work and just looking at like my relationship with food and my body. And, you know, again, the whole thing about being safe in my body and just like going so deep into the journal speak and really like, kind of like reparenting my, my younger, my inner child and like kind of unlearning so many things that i learned through my whole childhood, like with my family and just society and everything like that. So I think, I think it's been the last year has been really transformative for me, just really looking within. And I think the big thing is just that my feelings are okay. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, let, let it belong, let, let it all belong like that. It's okay. You know, and to just be aware of like when I'm going to like grab a box of cookies or what's going on, you know, Let's go to the journal instead of doing that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Amazing. I'm really proud of you and really happy for you. Because again, I can imagine how transformative it is to kind of just stumble into this work <laughs> and then have it integrate into your life. So amazing. Sounds like you are doing really well with it. And I'm glad, just really glad that I get to like be a part of it, you know, and like be on this journey with you, however, indirectly over the last year. Um, and yeah, it sounds like you're just doing great with all that you are learning and integrating. So yeah. amazing. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So when you say, you know, I'm hearing you say things like still trying to kind of like find the balance still, you know, so you went to the retreat, you're learning a lot, you're practicing a lot and integrating a lot of the work. Tell me a little bit about where you are now. So on a kind of day-to-day -day basis, how would you describe your relationship with food, eating, your body, present day, currently, what's sitting with you? Again, like back 
you know, several months ago when I was doing the anti-inflammatory, like it was like, okay, I have to do my food prepping and I have to buy these fresh vegetables. And it was so strict. And then I was like, okay, this is too much. I need to, and I didn't go all the way to the other side, but I like start was starting to feel myself go to the other side where I was like, oh, well, it's okay. I can just, oh, it's okay. Like kind of wait, like starting to be too much and starting to feel like I was gaining some weight maybe and like just not feeling physically as good. I'd say probably like in the last few months, it's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this because it may helps me feel good. And I'm not gonna be hardcore where I have to food prep every, you know, so it's, I think it's the like being kind to myself. It's figuring out what, like I was saying, the balance is like, okay, sometimes I want to eat really healthy, but like, is it, when is it too much or what do you know? I don't know. (laughs) Yes, I hear you. I really do. So I don't know if you may not have seen it before, because I don't know that I've ever shared this at a retreat, but as like part of my group program in the first week, I share the PDF of my pendulum. Have you seen my pendulum before? I don't know. Okay. Probably I would imagine not, but on one side of the pendulum, it's emotional eating, mindless eating, stress eating, overeating, under eating. Right. And then, then, right. We swing the pendulum and then the other side of the pendulum is, uh, you know, calorie counting, following the meal plan, being on a diet, whatever it is, however that shows up. Right. There's a lot of different forms of it, but the point is that many of us swing the pendulum back and forth and we're either, and that's kind of what you're saying is like, we get to a point where it's like, we're so kind of rigid about the way to eat that at a certain point, it's like, fuck this. Like, I just, I don't like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then we swing the pendulum all the way back. And so for me, the reason that I explain that is because what happens is we, again, just kind of like the theme of all of what we've shared already is that we get really distracted by like what's going on physically and around the food, but we're not paying so much attention to like, how do I feel while I'm doing this? So the reason I say that is because on the first side of the pendulum, I, I don't remember how exactly it's written out, but what I share is that we think right with emotional eating, mindless eating, stress eating, overeating, undereating, the thing that's getting our attention is the eating. Like we get so focused on like, I'm emotionally eating. What should I do? And then we like swing the pendulum and we're like, I'll just count calories or like points or macros or whatever it is, right? But the whole point there is that if we're emotional eating, we're not paying attention to or honoring our emotions. Right. If we're stress eating, we're not paying attention to or honoring our stress. If we are overeating, we're not honoring the fact that we're full. If we're under eating, we're not honoring the fact that we're hungry. And if we're mindlessly eating, we're just not paying attention. We're just kind of disconnected and dissociated. So what I'm saying there is it's not the eating that needs to be paid attention to. It's the, the whole situation of what's going on with the human. Is it emotional? Is it stress? Is it physical? Is it mindless? Is it what filling out the picture is important, first of all, right? Because then- we swing the pendulum. And the thing that's important about the pendulum is that you can swing back and forth with your eating habits while remaining completely disconnected from 
what's going on on a deeper level. So then, right, what do we do? We like focus on what we're eating, how to eat, the rigidity of it, following the plan, checking the boxes. But then at a certain point, we're doing the same thing where it's like, if we're not paying attention to how we feel, we're going to get to a point where it's like, this is too stressful. I hate this. This is not sustainable. This feels like a prison, whatever it feels like, right? Feels like the emotional experience, again, is where we want to pay attention. And if we're not honoring that, we will get to a point where it's like, this no longer feels safe. I'm not doing it. And then that's when it starts to feel like we start binging. We start feeling out of control around food. We are just com completely, quote unquote, unmotivated. However, it shows up, right? This is where we start thinking that we are self-sabotaging. All of that language are just different ways of saying your brain is trying to keep you safe. And this approach no longer feels safe. So, you know, like I sometimes I say, I'm like, you can run from a tiger, but you can't run from a tiger forever, right? Mm -hmm. You can like follow a meal plan for a little bit of time, but at a certain point, your brain is going to be like, I'm no longer on board for this. And then again, we swing back and forth. So what I'm saying is the first thing that I always think is important to pay attention to is how does it feel for you to be engaging with what you're engaging with? And if the anti-inflammatory diet is something that feels really good, healthy, safe, expansive, grounding for you, whatever it is, that's one thing. But if the anti-inflammatory diet is starting to feel like a prison or like a saber-toothed tiger, it's not about the diet. It's about how does it feel and what's your experience right. of it, right? Does all of that make sense? Yeah. And I, because it's because it started out, like I'm doing it for the physical pain. I'm doing it for this, the sleep apnea. It was, I was, is like helped me to be like, okay, I'm doing this for physical and medical reasons. Then it was almost like when all of a sudden I was like, I didn't have that kind of like excuse anymore. I was kind of like, okay, well I have to be like, okay, but I also feel really good. I still re feel really good. And so it's, I think it, for me, it became the, the, the tiger because it was like, became so rigid. And that's where I guess in the last, you know, several months where I've been trying to figure out like, okay, well, what is, what's the balance of, I feel good to eat good, healthy foods and clean foods. And I like chocolate. So I'm going to have some chocolate sometime, but not, not stuffing myself with chocolate, but just having it because I enjoy it. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah. for a lot of people, that's exactly what happens is that it like starts off in a way that feels really good and aligned. And that's the other thing about anything in our relationship with food is, is to continue staying present with yourself because it's like anything else where it's like, okay, this felt really good a year ago. This felt really good a month ago. And you know what? It kind of doesn't anymore. Like I really miss eating this other thing. That's not part of this plan or whatever. And to just continue checking in with yourself to see, is this still working? Like, do I still like this? Is this still, you know, getting me where I want to go? But from where I'm sitting, it sounds in a lot of ways, like you are kind of actually achieving that balance that is, okay, so most of the time, this is what works for me. I like doing this. It is hard to not have the added, let's say, motivation or inspiration of like, you know, if I eat this way, then my pain will be gone or something. But now you're really doing it just because it feels good. And this is the way that you like to feel in your body. But so I'm curious, do you have any, or is there anything specific, specifically challenging or 
anywhere that you feel like specifically stuck in terms of achieving this balance or embodying this balance? Because again, it sounds to me in a lot of ways, like you are doing it. Are there places where for you, it feels like it's not working? I mean, I think it's being able to just to look in the mirror and just accept where I'm at because I mean, I do, I do want to lose more weight. So, I mean, it's like the whole thing of wanting to lose the weight, but then being like, but it's okay if I don't, cause I've just, I don't think that I'm there. You know, I think that there's a part of me that's like, oh, I'm fine. You know, but then there's that other part that's like, no, you're really not. So I think it's just working on looking in the mirror and accepting myself and, I mean, I think it goes back to like being that little girl in the bathroom at nine, 10 years old, looking in the mirror and being like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not right. I should suck in my stomach. Yeah. I hear you. Okay. That makes more sense. Cause this is not, I mean, it's kind of what you said earlier. It's not so much about the actual food and eating. It's about Mm -hmm. your lived experience in your body and what that feels like. So I'm curious, just when you identify that and speak to that, How does it feel for you to just share that and sit with that? I'm sad for that little me, that young me that I I just picture like my kids at that age, somebody saying that to them. And I know my parents did the best that they could and they don't realize or whatever, but it's just sad that like, you know, I had to be that little girl and, you know, to hear these negative things and to have everything be so focused on appearance. And I think that's the hard part, even now as an adult, like my parents, they don't know me, like they don't know my heart or like who I am. Like everything's focused on this is what you do. And like, you know, this, you know, you have a husband and you have kids and you know, you're a therapist and you're, you know, it's just very, it's not like, wow, like you're a good person or, you know what I mean? So it's, I think that's, and that's like where a lot of the reparenting of myself is like being like, okay, I see you. Like, I see that you are you have a good heart and you care about people and you're transparent and honest. And, you know, so I think that's, I think that's the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I hear you. And that is, I think really relatable to anyone who has done this work to know (laughs) that a big part of it is just grief. Like Mm -hmm. what you're speaking to, right. Is grief of, the parents that we didn't have and the experiences that we didn't receive and the people in our life who can look at us, but not see us. There's a huge element of just allowing yourself to process that and grieve that and tell the truth about that. And really I'm just acknowledging you for doing that because you, you are doing that. You're aware of it. You're speaking to it. And for a lot of people, I think that's something that maybe happening in some ways behind the scenes, but that isn't conscious. And so that's part of why I kind of call that out is like, this is the, this is the grieving process, you know, and it's really important. So when you tell me a little bit about what it's like for you to look in the mirror these days. When I look in the mirror, I think that, I mean, so this is the hard thing. So when I lost 40 pounds, And I looked in the mirror, it was like, for the most part, it was like, just feeling like happy. And I think also looking at, you know, looking at pictures of before, then I'm like, oh my God, like, I can't believe I let myself get that, get that big type of thing. And so now like, it's like a kind of a battle. Cause I'm like, I I know, like I've still have down 30 pounds, which is, you know, a lot of weight. Um, But I think that I still it's still that the whole not good enough thing. It's like, yeah, but if I 
just lose that 10 pounds and look like how I looked then, then it would be better, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and again, that's one part of me, like I know cognitively, like I know, like I'm fine, but it's still that kind of that little girl that's like, yeah, but if you just lost that 10, you know, then it'd be even better, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I hear you. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm kind of curious to ask you when you just hear yourself say that, what is it like? What does it feel like for you just to acknowledge that that's what it's like for you looking in the mirror? I'm sad. It's, it's, how am I, how am I still dealing with this? Mm. Like, is that shame? Yeah. Like I've, I've been working on this. Like I've been in therapy, I've done all the things and read all the books. And it's like, how am I, how have I not like got this figured out yet? Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that feel like shame? Does it feel like anger that could come from a few different places? Maybe it's all of it. Yeah, probably a little bit, a little bit of both. Yeah. Cause that's another thing I think a lot of people who are listening to this can really resonate with, but it's like, how am I still dealing with this? I've been feeling my feelings. I've been doing all this work, how, you know, and to me very often what's kind of underneath that is the question, what's wrong with me? which is, which is ultimately the voice of shame. Most of the time, what's wrong with me? Why am I like this? You know, why, Mm -hmm. how am I still holding on to this? So not to change it or get rid of it, just to identify it, right. And to just bring it in like, okay, shame is here. Anger is here. Uh Sadness is here. They're all part of the experience and that's okay. So I want to kind of reflect back something to you that I'm hearing and see how it lands. Is that cool? Sure. Okay. So when you talk about how, you know, your parents don't even know you, your parents don't even see you when you look. So first of all, our parents are the ones that kept us safe and kept us alive. Right. So for a period of our life, it felt like there was no other way. We had to think what our parents thought. We had to do what our parents did. We had to operate within that system of functioning a certain way, right? That's the need for attachment. So in a lot of ways, that voice in our head, right? And you know this, it's like our inner critic and our judgment and all that stuff. It's like, well, there's actually, it's it's a survival mechanism. That is, mm-hmm. there's a reason that we hear mom's voice in your head. There's a reason mm-hmm. that dad is still shaming you in there, right? It's like, we kind of take all that stuff and internalize it because at a period in our life, that's how we felt safe and bonded and connected. And again, survival mechanism. So the reason that I say that is because what I notice is the way that when you say, you know, they don't even know me, they don't even see me. What you're speaking to is the experience of ultimately being objectified, right? Being judged or really just, again, objectified by your body, your weight, your shape, your size, your appearance in general, what you do, how much money you make, who you're married to, right? Objectifications. Yeah. And then when you look in the mirror, you're doing that to yourself. Yeah. Right? That is when I look in the mirror, well, I see a body and I see that I used to be 40 pounds heavier and then I see that I lost 40 pounds and then I see that I could lose 10 more pounds and then I see this and I, we're immediately in objectification mode. Yeah. Right? So the way, the same way, that it feels like your mother doesn't see your heart. 
doesn't see your soul, doesn't see you on the deep level that you desire to be seen at, right? That same exact thing is happening in the mirror. Now it's just you looking at you and not seeing you. Does that make sense? Does make sense for sure. And I think that there are parts of me that does and parts of me that doesn't. It's like you said, that inner critic. Right. And so it's like when I'm in writing journaling and I'm, you know, meditating and I'm able to be like there for myself and know who I am. And, but then when I, yeah, when I go to the mirror, instead of being able to be like, this is like, oh, this is who I, I'm a person. This is a body. You know, I go to the, you know, this, it's, it's like I said, there's like a lot of unlearning to do. For, for sure. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that is again, just something that I see and also personally experience is like, okay, well, you know, when I'm sitting with a journal and I'm sitting in meditation, like, yeah, I, I feel myself, you know, I feel the spiritual being that I am. It's that when we walk in front of a mirror or we see a picture of ourselves or we do something like get on the scale, it's these things in the physical dimension that kind of trigger us to lose that connection. And so part of the reason I say this is because I think it would be completely unrealistic to have the expectation that you're going to look in the mirror and love what you see all of the time. I would love if that were true for myself included, but I'm just working with the fact that, you know, that's option three and life is a choice between what hurts and what hurts worse. And if we've internalized this body ideal thing our whole life, right? It's not about just getting rid of it or getting out of it. It's about, to me, being able to, for example, maintain that connection with yourself, your capital S self, even in that moment where you are tempted to objectify yourself and see yourself only as a body. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And so that's an ongoing practice because what I'm, what I'm really inviting you to do is is practice when you are walking past a mirror right your brain is going to do that thing that says i know how to keep us safe how to keep us safe is to think of ourselves as a body a weight shape and a size and then you fall down the rabbit hole of like how am i supposed to eat to get to the certain number what do i need to weigh how did i look before how do i look later past future right but not in the present mm -hmm. so one activity if you're open to it is to practice looking in the mirror and actually holding onto the connection that you have with yourself when you're doing something like journal speak mm -hmm. and the way that i personally do that is finding my eyes in the mirror mm -hmm. right very often i think we all have the place you look in the mirror you know exactly where your eyes go to right? Could be your arms, could be your legs, could be your belly, like that part of your body that, right? It feels like as long as I'm staring at it and critiquing it, I'm doing something and we get really fixated again. But the eyes, right? The eyes are the window to the soul. There's a reason that we know that, right? So for me, when I'm feeling really caught up in my body image stuff, especially when I'm looking in the mirror, it's been very helpful for me to find my eyes and look for the human, right. like look for the human being. That is, I know that I'm conditioned and I know that I've internalized 
the habit to look in the mirror and immediately objectify myself. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to try to get rid of that. It's like any meditation. It's like, I'm going to see that, be observant of that, right? We can't do anything that we're not aware of. So the first thing is like, hey, look, there it is again. There I am again, objectifying myself in the mirror just the way that I was taught to do by my mother. Love her to death, but I want to let this one go, right? I don't want to do, I don't want to perpetuate this myself. So what I can do is show up in the mirror, notice that that's a habit. I'm going to see myself as a body. And what I'm going to do is say, that's not my fault. I don't need to be ashamed of that. I don't need to resist that. And I can practice doing something different which is finding my eyes in the mirror and saying, hey, hey, I see you. How are you? How are you doing? How are you feeling? What's going on with the human right now? And like building on that practice. How does that sound to you? Oh, How does that feel? I could definitely do that. And then you just reminded me of one of your other phrases that has been awesome. It's not, it's not my fault, but it is my responsibility. Love mm-hmm. that. thank you and yes you're absolutely right and I think again it's so important in this work because anyone who has been infiltrated with diet culture of course it's not your fault you didn't create this you didn't ask for this you didn't sign up for this you didn't consent to this like none of this internalizing the message that you are only as good as your body is your fault And if we want it to be different, if we want it to change, if we want to think differently about ourselves, it is our responsibility ultimately because no one can do the work for you. Like the same way that, you know, it's like no one can journal speak for you. No one can feel your repressed emotions for you. And no one can move out of the conditioning of diet culture for you. So all of that, 100%. How does it feel to just consider all of that? That is perpetuating or that you have been not knowing, not consciously, not by choice, perpetuating that kind of belief system and that you have the power to actually do something different. What is it like to just feel into that? I mean, it's like, I feel hopeful. It's like empowering, like something, you know, to kind of, I think I didn't really... I mean, I maybe a little bit had an awareness that I was doing that, but not really, you know, um, the whole thing about feeling like they don't know me. And then that kind of like being in my head of me not knowing me in some ways. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm optimistic. Right. <laughs> and I'm glad I'm always here for the word empowered. I think yeah. that's really, really important because again, it's like a lot of this stuff isn't going to go anywhere. It's about mm-hmm. knowing that you actually have power to do something different and shift. And that's the thing is the more, and I'm curious, like maybe I'll have to come back and let us know how it goes, but definitely keep me posted because the more mm-hmm. we practice something like intentionally showing up to say, yeah, I know that those voices are here. I know that your habit to objectify yourself is present. I hear that. I know that it's okay. It's not your fault. And I'm going to choose to see you as a human being. The more you do that, the more your brain, it's very much like TMS and chronic pain symptoms, where it's like your brain learns that you are safe to look in the mirror and see yourself. 
like holistically as a spiritual being. It's, I think a lot of the time we look in the mirror and it doesn't, it just doesn't feel safe because again, mom wasn't doing that. Dad wasn't doing that. I did not grow up to know that I can see myself in this light or see myself in this way. So what you're doing is the same way that you're reparenting and you're journaling, you're reparenting in front of the mirror. You know, you're just, you're just bringing it to your physical experience to say, I'm the, I'm the parent here. And if I want to be seen deeply, I know how to do that. And Mm -hmm. the more you practice that, the safer it is to practice that like anything else. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's what it all comes down to is the safety thing. You know, again, with the the body image, the TMS with, with all of it, you know, is like, again, finding the balance and like the patience and kindness for myself and not, not having to do everything to the extreme, which I've recently started to realize that all of a sudden, like the journal speaking, like I was like, became like my new, like, I was like, I have to do it. I have to do it. And I'm like, I'm I'm doing this in fear. Like, this is not, this isn't good. So like, I'm trying to like, to be able to like, take a step back and be like, okay, I don't have to hold on so tight. And like, you know, trying to do things for expectations to doing the journal speak, but not having to do it every day and meditating, but not like not having to do it. But so that's huge. (laughs) It's such a big deal. It is such a big deal. And that's something again, that I've like seen a lot is that people will come from a lot of dieting or like diet lifestyle kind of stuff and then kind of come over into this work and then turn self-care into the next diet where it's like, no, I have to journal. No, I have to meditate. No, I have to do this. I have to do that. And then again, it's that it's the energy around it that keeps the whole system feeling unsafe. And now it's not that energy necessarily around food and eating and our diet, but it's that exact energy, like you just so beautifully said (laughs) about, you know, coming from a fear-based place that it doesn't matter what you're doing. The thing that matters is how you're doing it. And that's everything. So I'm really, really happy for you that you have gotten to that place that is like, there is no have to, there is no should. And that's also the same around food. That is, there is no have to, even if you, again, I love something like, you know, if we take the anti-inflammatory diet, for example, it's like, you don't have to do anything. And that's also really important for your brain to understand that you are in a place of safety is when you're in a place of choice and freedom. So when it comes to food, it's like, you know, we tell ourselves, and I think this is an important point. We tell ourselves like, well, I have to eat this way. And it's like, you don't have to do anything. It's like, yeah, but I have to eat this way if I want to feel the way that I want to feel. And it's like, yeah, but you don't have to, right? You're choosing to. If you have to eat this way in order for you to feel the way you want to feel, you're still moving from a place of choice and freedom. You're Mm -hmm. choosing to eat that way because you want to feel how you want to feel, but you don't have to do anything. You could easily choose to not do that thing and then not feel the way that you want to feel. But that to me is how it always kind of boils down to life being a choice between what hurts and what hurts worse. It's like you can follow quote unquote, the plan doesn't have to be rigid, doesn't have to be excessive, but certain things are going to make us feel better than other things. (laughs) Like that's just (laughs) true we have immediate gratification or we have delayed gratification, but either way you have option one, you have option two, option three, where you get to have both at the same time doesn't exist. 
It'd right. be nice. Yeah. Right. It'd be so <laughs> nice. But I think that comes up around food too all the time where we do this thing where it's like, well, I have to eat this way if I want X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, yeah, if you want X, Y, and Z, you have to eat that way. But no one says that you have to want that or do that. And like right. always remembering you have choice, you have power, you have freedom within the two options that are available is to me always helpful because then it's like, oh, okay. Well, then at least I'm making sacrifices because of something that I want, not because I objectively have to or am supposed to. That's the illusion that we fall into. But anyway, you know that. Yeah. <laughs> the have to's and the can'ts. Like I can't do that. Yes. Where it's like, no, I. it's not I can't. It's, yeah. yeah. I'm choosing not to or I'm choosing to. So. Right. Right. And that could yeah. be literally around anything. That's like food and eating. Same yeah. could be said for alcohol. Same could be said for like, I always use the example of like sleep where it's like, I get in this battle with myself all the time, but like, I want to stay up late. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, but I can't stay up late. And then I'm like fighting myself. And it's like, no, you, you're a fully grown adult. Like you can do whatever you want, but like thinking about how is this going to affect you tomorrow? How is this like, what are the long-term consequences of choosing this thing right now in the moment. And I think that's why even going back to what you said earlier, where it's like, if you're grabbing a box of cookies, you can have all the cookies in the world. There's nothing wrong with you eating cookies. And it's just about taking that moment to say, is this is this what I want to choose for myself right now? Right. And if you want to get more curious about going to a journal and you know, seeing what's underneath it, that's also a choice. Right. But neither, it's not about good or bad or right or wrong. It's just like, I have choice. I have power. I have freedom. This is the way that I want to show up. Yeah. So, and again, same is true when you're looking in the mirror. Okay. Now, having said all of that, you have your mirror activity to practice. <laughs> the other thing I want to add on that though, is when you're finding your eyes and you're finding the human, I'm going to label this activity, finding the human, looking, okay. looking for the human. Um, the other thing that I want to add to that is kind of briefly mentioned before we have a tendency with our thoughts to go into the past and into the future which is exactly what you were saying before right I used to weigh this I used to look like this now if I lose 10 pounds I'll look like that we are objectifying ourselves not just again in what we look like right now but we're comparing ourselves to the past yes. and the future the past and the future which is another very subtle tricky way that the brain does what it does and it yeah. says i know how to keep you out of the present moment we'll just think about what you used to look like before and i know how to keep you out of the present moment we'll just look at what you might look like in the future but so mm -hmm. another way to just ground in your body create the safety where you are right now is in addition to finding your eyes and just kind of connecting with yourself is to really feel your breath and yeah. your five senses. Right? Mm -hmm. So those are things that we've practiced before, but coming to your five senses, your five senses cannot be anywhere but the present moment. Right. So they will always bring you back to here and now. And then the other thing that I think is important is connecting with your breath and not just mm -hmm. thinking about your breath moving in and out, but really feeling the breath move through your body mm -hmm. and holding the space for you to, again, to say, I know that I have a tendency. It's just like any other meditation, right? right? It's like, oh, my monkey brain is doing that thing. 
but how do I come back to here and now? Your breath is always an anchor and your five senses are always an anchor. So just again, noticing when you're ping-ponging back and forth in the objectification and the past and the future and saying, okay, cool. Hi. Hey guys. I see that you're trying to keep me safe. Love you for that. I'm going to actually find my eyes and really stay focused on my breath right now. And I think, again, it's easier to do when you're not looking at yourself, right? right? It's easier to do when you're in a journal, when you're in a meditation. But now we're taking that same skill set and saying we can practice this while being, let's say, triggered by the mirror or something, mm -hmm. right? right? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So that's that's what I want to just kind of invite you to practice. And I'm curious, again, to see how it, how it evolves over time. Absolutely. And having said that, I'm curious, do you have any questions or anything else that's just kind of like lingering that you want to ask about in terms of where you are, how things are feeling, what's going on for you right now? I have one other thing. Hopefully, I don't know if it's, if it's too big of a topic or not, but the thing, the relationship for me with, with alcohol and food. And so I... I stopped, I haven't drank in like probably almost four months. And so I, you know, basically what happened was I was like realizing that I was, you know, starting to drink too much. I was, you know, rather than just having like a beer or having a glass of wine, it was like, it was like, you know, kind of using it to numb out. The big issue was like, I was binging. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm just gonna, you know, just gonna stop drinking for a little while. So I guess I'm like, I'm at the point now with, the alcohol too of like right now I'm I'm good to just you know not drink and figure all this out but I guess it's kind of like finding that balance with that as well and I guess it's like I'm trying to figure out am I just going to be somebody who just doesn't drink or it's like again am I able to just have a drink one drink and and be okay and not get back into that mode of you know the addictive brain <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah I really hear you. Thank you for sharing that and asking that. So I think this is going to be a personal opinion. Yeah. That is recovery, quote unquote recovery, right? So that could be around food and eating. That could be around drugs and alcohol, whatever it is, looks different for everyone, right? So some people find a lot of comfort in being like, you know what, alcohol doesn't work for me, like moving through like the 12 steps, being part wow. of AA, something like that. Um, and then some people feel like that doesn't really, not doesn't work for them, but doesn't really like align or resonate with them. And I don't think that recovery is something that we can look at and say, this is how you do it. Or like, this is what you need, right? It's like everyone's in their own place with it. And I think it's important to consider your own experience more than anything else, right? And so if you're in a place where you're finding like, you know what, every time I drink, it always goes to that extreme and I don't want to do that anymore. That's important information for you to consider. If you're in a place where you're like, you know what, every once in a while, I'm okay with that. You know, if it like, I think it, it's about honoring your experience mm -hmm. and then being mindful of what you want for yourself and not looking at 
you know, I think again with recovery, it becomes this like, how do I do it? What's the right way? Um, but if there's some part of you that is still uh, getting something out of this behavior, we want to know that and we want to look at that. So what I what I do in myself, whether it's around food or other things, is when you find yourself engaging in a behavior, let's call it drinking for this example, and you're not really loving the way that it feels or you kind of wake up the next day and you're like, oh, I wish I didn't do that. What I practice and again would invite you to do is just get really curious. Mm -hmm. Get curious about your own experience. So if you drank more than you wanted to, what was going on there? Mm -hmm. Like instead of, you know, why did I do that? What's wrong with me? How do I get myself to stop? If we move through the kind of alternative path, that is, what if we just get really compassionately curious? We say, what was going on with me when I was doing that thing I didn't want to do? How was I feeling? What was, you know, what was, again, what was my human experience? And not thinking about the alcohol or the food or anything like that, but just what was going on with me? And if there are some addictive tendencies, the first thing always is, no shame, no blame. We're not we're not fighting it. We're not resisting it. We're not trying to control it. We're just going to get on the same team as ourselves and say, hey, so this is something that maybe doesn't feel that good to me. And I want to get curious about why I keep doing this. And then just, you know, that's where you can bring your journal speak practice in and just let yourself tell your story to you. Again, seeing you on a deeper level. And if, it, if at some point you get to it and you're like, you know what, this is just the relationship that I have with it and this is something that I don't really want to deal with anymore, then that's fine. And mm-hmm. if you find that along the way you keep doing it and you're like, I actually acknowledge that this is something that keeps happening and it's fine with me, then mm-hmm. it's fine. You know, it's like yeah, always using yourself as the guiding light, meaning what do you want for yourself? How do you want to behave? What do you want it to look like? And then just taking that into account because there is no right or wrong or good or bad. It's just, what do you, what do you want it to look like? Yeah. You know, I I think, I think for me, it's like, it's the whole thing about things being so things have been always black and white. It's like either I'm on this strict diet or I'm binging, you know, and it's like with alcohol, I'm either like over the top or I'm, or I've stopped. Right. And it's like, it's like, yeah, it might be that it's just, you know, better for me to just not, but it's like, I guess. And I know, obviously I've tried a few times to be like, well, I'm going to just do this moderation thing. And so I guess, I, I guess there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to be black and white. Like I want to be able to, you know, figure it, figure out, like I've been figuring it out with the food and I want to be able to just figure it out with the alcohol. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's what I hear as well. That is, it's a lot, quote unquote, easier in some ways to be in that like pendulum all or nothing, right? It At least even if it's not comfortable and even if we don't like it very much, there is some safety in the predictability yeah. of it and the certainty of it and the, you know, and and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think a lot of people, especially with something like alcohol, because the difference between alcohol and food, right, is like you can cut out alcohol, right? So like yeah. that's important. And so Can't I think, stop. right. So like I think the reason that that is important is because for a lot of people, it's like moderation is challenging. Moderation is tricky. Balance is hard. 
And so with something like alcohol, where you have the option of abstaining completely, it's like, it makes it really clear and simple. And it's just like, okay, fine, then I will just, you know, and again, not that it's easy to abstain, but that it that there is some clarity, you don't do that back and forth of like, am I going to drink? How many drinks am I going to have? You know, like, it the whole conversation is cleared up because the conversation isn't happening. right? Right? So just again, honoring that, that is, if you get to a place where you feel and decide internally that like, you've been attempting this moderation balance thing, and like, it just isn't worth it. It just isn't working. It just isn't, you know, it takes a lot to walk that tightrope, if that's what it feels like for you, then that's okay too, you know? But I think that's that's a thing, especially with something like alcohol, where it's like you have the ability and you can say, this is something that I'm just going to choose to not partake in at all anymore. And that's an option, you know? And you can, and again, like you've already experienced, none of it is permanent. And I think we can always, always just continue experimenting with ourselves. Is this something that's working for me right now? Is it not? Is it something that feels like I have, you know, something we talk about here is being spiritually fit enough, right? Sometimes it's like, I'm in a place right now where I'm spiritually fit enough to have a drink. And I know that it's not going to turn into another one and another one and another one. But at another point in my life, I am not spiritually fit enough to have a drink, right? So again, a little bit more complicated with something like alcohol. But again, I think I, I like to use that as like a guiding light when you find yourself in this like gray area with things is you may be able to drink now in a way that you couldn't 20 years ago and that, or 20 days ago, right? It's about continuing to like check in with you. Right. And staying curious and staying open and staying abundantly honest, even if it's uncomfortable. (laughs) And I was like in the last year, like I, when I was like being able to say, okay, am I drinking right now because I don't want to have these feelings or am like, am I drinking because we're going out and I want to have a glass of red wine with this piece of steak? You know what I mean? Like a hundred percent. Yes. That, that I was then of course it just got out of hand of course, but I think that, yeah, it's just something I have to continue to think about and the answers I'll figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, like to your point, it's always, again, it's not about the glass of red wine. It's is the glass of red wine coming from a place of love or fear. And the same could be said for the donut or the bowl of vegetables or whatever it is. So exactly, exactly that, that is staying compassionately curious why am I doing what I'm doing? No judgment, no shame. Mm-hmm. Just, I want to know who, I want to know who's driving the bus, right? Which right. part is in charge right now? And using that as a way to continue getting deeper and deeper into your own experience, getting that insight and understanding from yourself so you can move forward how you really want to around food and alcohol and anything else. Amazing. How do you feel right now? I feel good. <laughs> good. Uh, yes. <laughs> Do you have any final, final questions, anything else on your mind that you want to share or speak to or anything? Um, no more questions. I think I would want to share with people that are listening that I think for me, the one of the hardest things was, was not the feeling, the emotions, but it was the, the shame around it. Like, oh, I shouldn't, 
I shouldn't feel sad. And so then I, I'd be sad or I'd be crying and then I'd be hard on myself for, for the feeling, you know, and to be able, that's been like, I think one of my big lessons this year is to just be like, it's okay. It's okay to be sad. And like in the, in the moment, especially like when I'd be journaling where I'd be like, oh my God, this is like, I'm never going to stop being sad. It feels like it's going to always be this way. And then like, I cry and like five minutes later, I'm like, oh, I'm fine now. And so it's like to help. And that's something that I have to remind myself of often. It's just like, it's not forever. It's temporary. It's hard. It's freaking really hard to do the work, but it's, it's so worth it. And you know, the only way out is through. Right. So it's, so yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. It is a really important point that you make in, in all of that. It's not the feelings that are the problem. It's the resistance to the feelings that is our biggest problem. So Mm -hmm. always, always, I mean, that's really what all of this work is about is like, okay, we feel how we feel. We think what we think we are safe to do it. It's Mm -hmm. all okay. And again, it's not our fault. We're just doing our best as the human being that we are. So thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you so much for being here for your bravery in being here and for tolerating the discomfort of the anxiety of being Mm -hmm. here means a lot to me. Thank you. Absolutely. And I I appreciate so much you letting me come on and do this real time heal. And it's it's been awesome. Awesome. Yay. Okay. And I can't can't wait till Omega. I know. I was just going to say, and I will see you literally next month now. Wow. So soon. Right. Yes. Amazing. Cool. Okay. Well, until next time, thank you for being here.